Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Like, I look at astrology and I think, well, this is clearly, clearly nonsense. And I've kind of felt that way, like, since I was young, with the exception of, like, in the 80s and 90s, the TV guide, like, horoscope, for some reason, was oddly accurate for me. Um, but aside from that, like, I, you know, so it was, like, in my 20s that I discovered Mercury in retrograde, right? Which is the the thing, like, it is this, it happens once or twice a year for a handful full of weeks and during the time that mercury is in retrograde um you know the 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 common understanding is that basically the world is in fucked right it's it's the little things like your phone will stop working like your car will stop driving um you know like you'll break all your nails in one day like that kind of thing you know it's just like it's this constant parade of like little to moderate aggravations you know and so I had this thing where like a friend of mine said Mercury retrograde. I was like, that's nonsense. And the next time I had that like deluge of bullshit happen to me, I went and I looked it up and Mercury was in retrograde. Then a few years later, I'd have a deluge of bullshit and I'd look it up and Mercury would be in retrograde. Then, and this was when I was married to my kid's dad and I told him about it and he was like, no science, you know, cause he's the son of a scientist, you know? And, um, and I was like, no, seriously. And then when things got fucked up for him, I said, Hey, guess what? Mercury in retrograde. And even he believed it from then on because it just always <laughs> happened every time I went to look it up. So February and like early March for me have been, you know, have been like the world has been in fucked. It's been a lot of things like, you know, minor things that really like, you know, for instance, uh, my I got an electric bill from my electric company. And they were like, oh, your payment got refused for insufficient funds. And I was like, totally fucking impossible. Like I am on top for the first time <laughs> in my life. I mean, most times in my life, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like me that tracks. But like, you know, for the like recent past, I've been on top of my shit. I got a budget worked out, you know, like we've got everything. We got our ducks in a fucking row. And I know that money was in there. So then I look at my account and I'm like, no, this was paid and it never got returned back to me. And then I called my bank and I was like, hey, Excel is saying that, you know, this came back from you that you guys refused it and they were like nope nothing happened here everything was just fine we paid it out and so they wrote me a letter and I said the thing but like I had to go through all of this stuff and like I've never had anything come back as insufficient funds when there were not legit insufficient funds in my account like this never happened to me before and then in the following one like the next month they ran the thing and it came back that the account was closed and I'm like what the hell and it turned out that they ran it to the old bank account that doesn't exist anymore and that is legit closed, but which I removed from that account. So then Ian goes out driving about town and gets a ticket put on his car and he's like, what the hell? And the registration went out last August when we thought for some reason that it was going out at the end of March. So we've been driving around with a car without registration on it this whole time. But when do we get the ticket? In that 24 mm. hours. Like, So it was like just a whole bunch of things just coming down in that space. And I went to look up 
is Mercury in retrograde? And no, it was not. It has not been in retrograde for these last like six weeks or so. But the world is in fucked, is it not? Uh, yes. Like, at least personally, it absolutely <laughs> has been. And there's been a lot of that energy. Like, when I have said, you guys would not believe what's going on with me. Um, everybody's like, oh, that is a lot. But also, here's my litany of things. And uh, so I yeah. actually mm, exactly becoming much more uh, uh, convinced of astrology's capabilities within the area that astrology wants to inhabit. I think that a lot of times when people yeah. get, you know, disbelievy, I mean, well, healthy skepticism, God bless you. But I mean, you know, when yeah, right. when mm -hmm. p it's because the like it starts to creep out like, oh, 10,000 people are all going to have the exact same date. Yeah, that's bullshit. That's not actually what astrology is. That's how they packaged it up well, to sell it yeah. in the 20s. Yes, exactly. You know, in the um, TV guide that was eerily accurate for me in like the <laughs> 80s and 90s. It was the only horoscope that always got it right. Yes. Anyway, keep going. This this <laughs> is not my area, but it touches a lot of stuff that is my area and i have a friend of mine hi molly if you're listening who is like the she's my astrology go-to and she was telling me i'm gonna fuck all this up but basically a huge like i think <laughs> seven or eight year long time that we have been in saturn yeah. is shifting into another mm -hmm. planet and saturn is like all boundaries this i do know from my stuff like it's all boundaries it's the death and mm -hmm. taxes of this it's the the price you pay to get anything done you know um, and it's not even it's not even negative. It's just like these are the hard walls. Can I walk through this wall? Right. Mm -hmm. No, says Saturn. It's a fucking wall. You know, like that's the. <laughs> and and yeah. uh, uh, this is very like, you know, just sketch. But she was like, yeah, well, Saturn's all about boundaries. And, you know, you did a lot of boundary busting while you were under Saturn. And maybe those bills are coming home to be paid and all this forward momentum <laughs> that you're not experiencing. If you get over it practically, uh -huh. it's to. Yeah. So it's a uh, yeah. I think there's mm -hmm. this as above, so below business. I uh, I'm into that. Yeah. It makes sense. Mercury in retrograde is the popular one everyone talks about, but there is so much other like I believe seriously like subtle things going on. Influences and mm -hmm. yeah, we're in one, and I think yeah, like everybody is is if not everybody like a lot like just anecdotally at the point that I say I had a car accident this week, and they're like, oh, that's terrible, and I was like, let me tell you about the other two expensive things. <laughs> I had to do to my car <laughs> out of nowhere, you know, which yeah. again is mm -hmm. travel is forward. Moment. Anyway, it's a whole. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a hot I mess. I find it really interesting. And I think it's one of the things that like, you know, I tend to have a fairly practical worldview while leaving space for shit that I just don't understand. Right. Like, I understand there are a lot of things in the world that I don't get. And I am my brain is not equipped to like that. I would have any of these answers. So I just leave it. I'm basically agnostic about almost everything. But one of the things that I'm fairly convinced about is that this is a simulation and that everything really is based on. I mean, even music is math, you know, right? Like DNA is code. <laughs> Come on. It's clearly, clearly this is all computer brains are quantum computers. Right. So like all of that stuff to me, I think, like makes me feel like this 
is basically World of Warcraft MMORPG. And we're just all here, like, kind of doing this thing, learning our lessons, you know, whatever. And to me, what I think would be really funny is that if there's a really consistent, like, you know, scientific base that that we can slowly unravel that puzzle, which is really, really kind of fun to do, right? But that also at the same time, because whoever created this thing had a sense of humor, they also were like, hey, what we're going to do is the position of the planets is also going to fuck with your shit and it's going to be real, but you're not going to think it's real. And so like, I would completely believe that that could be coded in to all of it. Um, and I think that that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, so that's kind of fun to play with. But yeah, basically, I, there's so much I don't know. But all I can tell you is Mercury in retrograde has been fucking consistent for me for many, many years. And and here you've stumbled into a place where it isn't, but we have another very good but explanation. But there's something else going that's on. That's actually bigger. Like, it's yeah. more fundamental, and it's causing... I mean, again, like, I was so excited when February was over, and then, like, March 2nd, I was like, oh, another helping of shit. All right, I guess we're still doing this. Beginning of March. Yeah, I think March is actually... And this is the thing. Like, I don't know anything about astrology, clearly, um, but I am on TikTok. And so every now and then I'll be scrolling through. And all these astrologists were like, y'all... March is going to fuck your shit. And here's why. And they're like, this is moving out of this and this planet's moving out of that and everything. Like all of these planets are shifting at once. So it's like, you know, if the um, plane or train or boat that you are riding on suddenly goes through like turbulence. Yes. Or, like, yes. An, uh, ice field or something like that. Right. Like it's going to shake, you know, it's going to shake while it's in transition from one space to another. So I'm like, all right, you know, like fine. Well enough. I will just grab onto the handles and just hold on for a little bit but it is expensive like i am not yeah. enjoying how incredibly expensive all of this is becoming um that is that has not been a lot of fun at the same time i'm all for transition because we've been in fucked for a really long time just like in general so if some things are going to change i mean maybe that's good and speaking of transitions I think that this yes! is where we can we can actually nice make the segue. move into <laughs> our issue because because this is a thing like when people start saying, oh, the stars are telling me what's going to happen. No, the stars are giving you like a broad idea of what's going on around you and how your sort of baseline personality might react. But it's really all choices that are in your hands. This is just information being given to you to help you make better and more robust choices, which as we know, the grist of good characters in storytelling is the choices that they make. <laughs> Absolutely. Choices and, are everything in fiction. <laughs> and interestingly enough, in this case, it's true, but in opposite. The choices you are unable to make. If you're Bucky. Oh my God. If you are Bucky. Okay, we've got to get into this conversation. I love coming at it from the angle of choices, but first... Let's get into the summary. Jack, roll that summary music. In Captain America number 11, The Winter Soldier Part 3, we open with Lucan looking all over his office for something that's missing while arguing with a disembodied voice about who lost it. Nothing to be concerned about there, obviously. Lucan is angry and frantic as he yells at subordinates and looks to the cosmic cube wondering, what have you done to me? Cut to Steve Rogers, who just mysteriously finds the file on the Winter Soldier in his living room. There's no security breach, so where could it have come from? 
Whatever the answer, Steve has to read it, and so we get the sad story of Bucky Barnes becoming the Winter Soldier. We follow along as Russian scientists revive and test Bucky before realizing that they can put his reflex memory of deadly skills and his thoroughly American demeanor to work for the motherland. And so the Winter Soldier is born. He goes on several successful missions, but begins to regain some amount of his autonomy from time to time. The soldier's final mission was bodyguard to Karpov and destabilizing agent in the Middle East. In 1988, the Winter Soldier is decommissioned and put in storage where he apparently stayed until Lucan brought him back out for his revenge against Captain America. Cut back to Steve reeling from what he's read about his long lost pal Bucky and one more flashback but it's a flashback perfectly crafted to break Steve's and our heart. We end on a crushed Steve alone in his apartment, head in his hands, trying to make sense of a world gone mad. All right. So Joshua, here we are um, deep in winter soldier stuff. And you know, we've been having this kind of thing where like, usually I don't like this stuff, but here it's okay. Like there's stuff going on that I think is really good. And I have to say, um, like, I'm not a big fan of exposition. Tell your story, walking, keep moving in the now. Um, And honestly, like the way that this exposition is presented, because we are experiencing it as Steve, who is deeply emotionally invested in this, experiences it. I think that this is an example of when you have to do exposition, and sometimes you do, holy shit, put it through the perspective of a character who is deeply invested in that Mm -hmm. that history, and it can be incredibly powerful. So that's kind of like my overall response to this issue. What did you think? Yeah, I'm in in a very similar place. Like we had one issue where Mm -hmm. the exposition was sort of expertly woven into flashbacks. So we were like, hey, this is how flashbacks can work by giving context to the thing that's going on in the present, you know? And then we had one that was just like, this is how flashbacks should not work. This has completely derailed the story. We, You know, it's needlessly layers of complication. And then I mentioned the framing device of this one that I thought was really going to make it powerful. And it was even more so than the last time that I read it. Like, it was just... Um, for for being the third exposition-heavy issue in a, in a row, boy, this one yeah. hits. It really hits. Um, and we'll talk more about this with the art, but there's the way that it's put together um, that I think really makes it work. That's a pretty unique comic book approach. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really interesting. We're going to come back from break and talk a little bit about that. Uh, But Jack, go ahead and roll the music and uh, we'll put the break in here. All right, so let's go ahead and get started as we usually do with our cover art. Um, And the cover art is, you know, I mean, it's a pretty standard, you know, like sort of superhero shot. We've got Bucky as the Winter Soldier kind of standing mostly in limbo, but with this strip of memory of him as Bucky. Mm -hmm. So we've got these like clashes of identity, the history of who he was, and then the reality of who he is now or who he thinks he is, you know, um, really super interesting, way more affecting than I would expect from art this simple. Yes, I agree. Also, they are doing something at a meta level on the cover that we do in a more character-driven 
level inside, which is we have yeah. this, as discussed, very hard-edged version of the Winter Soldier up front. And these this strip of memory, though, is Bucky done in period-appropriate comic book art style, which we have not done with yeah. any of the flashbacks in the book. They're all very realistic in a style, you know, Lark style is similar but different from Epting so that it's not a jarring shift, but it's also obvious. But here on the cover, we're getting 1940s Bucky. We're getting 12-year-old Bucky, not this, uh, that's uncomfortable. Let's age him up to 16-ish, you know, like that's a whole lot better. But I mean, you know, it's just this very like, um, I mean, it's Jack Kirby, actually. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby created uh, Captain America and Bucky. So you get this very 1940 Jack Kirby art style of all these flashbacks and it's just this meta juxtaposition of carefree lighthearted we're doing a thing it's horrible in the present it's great it's really much better than it has any right to be you know what that i think is kind of the the through line for this entire issue is it's so much better <laughs> yes. than it has any right to be yes. based on what it's doing but i think that that's what makes it such an excellent example especially for writers out there that there's no rules about what you can and cannot do it's just that when you do it like, you know, think about the price that you pay for doing something like exposition mm -hmm. and then counter that price by throwing in something to compensate, which is like Steve's emotional response to all of that. And the illustrations inside the, this interior art, the illustrations of what's in Bucky's file, the way that Steve would imagine it, the way that Steve would see it, were very, very deep in Steve's POV of this experience about learning about what he went through. We see all these typed pages, you know, that we're reading mm -hmm. and the typed pages are just typed pages, but they're floating over this background art that I think um, the combination of the way that the art represents Steve's imagination, we are like deep in Steve's POV. Um, Steve's imagination, along with what the literal, you know, paper is that's in his hands, like that combination is so incredibly powerful for expositional writing and drawings, I mean, this has got to be like the best example I think I've ever seen of how that's done. It's really good. I just, I think it's a, an approach that's really unique to comics. Um, and it, as we've said, we, we've now had three different flavors of of exposition. And as expertly woven into the story as I thought the first example was, this just hits so much harder, so much harder. Yeah, this is a really a powerful way to do it. And I absolutely love that it's, it's threaded through Steve's imagination, his POV, so deep within his mind and his experience of all of these things, like imagining all of these things that happened to somebody who was so important to him and who he dearly loved. Absolutely love that. But I want to start our discussion of the story with <laughs> something that you brought up as we were transitioning out of the open, right? Where we're talking about the power of choices yes. um, and how there are no choices for our heroes Steve doesn't have a choice. Like this thing just landed on him, right? He's yeah. just reading this thing. Bucky didn't have a choice. He was just a body in the water that was complete, that was dead. Mm -hmm. And then they yeah. worked on him and did this stuff to him and wiped his memory. And he didn't have any choices, um, which brings me like, you know, not to go into the MCU too much, but I, I can't remember which property it was in because God knows 8 million MCU properties. <laughs> But where Bucky says, you know, like, you didn't want to do these. And he's like, yes, but I did them. Oh, right? so like, it's in Civil War. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's in Civil War. It is so incredibly heartbreaking. And the thing is that those are the things that we need to wrestle within each of our individual moral universes about the things that we did, the things that maybe we didn't have choices about, the things that maybe we didn't have the knowledge about to be able to make Mm -hmm. a choice that we would have rather done, right? Yes, but I did them. Like that, that we some we are still responsible for the things we do, even if we didn't know better, even if we didn't have a choice. We still yes. need to wrestle with the fact that we did those things, you know. And I think that I love that nuance there. And we haven't gotten to that yet here, like in Brubaker's version. But when you look at all of the things that Bucky did and the ways in which he was manipulated, yes, he did them, but he didn't know and and you know all of the things in there that i really love like where we have bucky going rogue for a little while right Mm -hmm, just disappears mm -hmm. goes back to new york and they're like bucky is inside fighting to get out of the winter soldier which is such a wonderful thing which brings me to like my first question after reading this is who took the file right so in the last (laughs) issue Lucan was becoming paranoid, handling the cosmic cube, and we see that he's looking down on that exact file, right? Uh And then here we are, and I think it's the next day, he's talking to a disembodied voice or Mm -hmm. something. Is that somebody in his head? Is it somebody he's imagining? Is it, I don't know who it is, Um, looking for this file that has since gone missing. And so, like, my first thing was, oh... He himself, he's losing it, and part of himself is also split into two. And part of himself got this file to uh, to cap, right? Because he's sort of internally shattered, maybe, and trying to fight himself because, you know, there is this disembodied thing. He's clearly having paranoia. He's clearly kind of having some kind of personality shifting going on. Maybe he did it, right? And then I was like, oh, no, but what if Bucky got the file to cap somehow. Mm. I mean, like, you know, because here is Bucky inside the Winter Soldier trying to break free. Like, you know, what if he got the file somehow stowed away on the helicopter, right? Um, Flew back with everyone, planted it in Steve's apartment. Because let's not forget, we got to have somebody who is able to get past the security in Steve's apartment and put it in his fucking living room. Like, that's going to take somebody extremely special. Um, So these are all my theories. And I know that you probably know the answer to how the file got in there. (laughs) I'm not asking for spoilers or whether I'm right. I'm just laying the theories down and we will discuss them at a later time. I may not be right on either of these, but those are my two main theories about how Cap got the file. Okay, so I have to say something, but I don't want to say much. So the thing I want to say is these are wonderful okay. theories. These are good, solid mm-hmm. theories. They are incorrect. Mm-hmm. I can say this to you. <laughs> not because they're Yay! not great theories, right. but because I know what's happened. And, and it's, it's just gonna not be where Brubaker went. A couple, three more issues, and then your mind will be uh-huh. blown. And I there is so I much I want to say about this that we need to remember to talk about in a couple more issues because it comes back to (laughs) some choices that are not. Mm -hmm. hmm. So again, the choices people aren't allowed to make in this issue give shape to the ones that they are allowed to make. So Lucan is not responsible for the file. He did not get to make that choice. Okay. 
We'll talk more about that later. We'll, but we'll, then we'll go ahead. We'll go ahead and set that aside for later. Another yeah. another person made a choice contra to Lucan's choice. So again, the choices people don't get to make give shape to the ones that do get made. Right. Steve has this thing, no choice. It's in his living room, but he could have not mm-hmm. touched it. He could have just called Nick right away. I need a forensics team, yeah. a security problem, blah, blah, blah. In fact, the idea that he just trusted the computer that there hadn't been a security breach. I think is a testament to how much he wanted to read the file because my gut reaction would have been like, Nope, motherfuckers are still in here. Hit the security button, right? Like let's do this careful Mm -hmm. and buy the book. But no, he's like, I'm going to sit down and read this file. So Steve chooses that he doesn't choose to get it, but he chooses to sit down and read it. I feel like probably two or three times, you know, before he, before he calls. And then when you look at Bucky all through there, really not Bucky, the winter soldier, Uh, The only choices that the Winter Soldier makes are when Bucky, what's left of Bucky, is trying to, like, throw elbows to get out. It's trying to So, again, the choices stolen give shape to the choices made, and and that includes Lucan, and I really want to say more about it, but I absolutely cannot. (laughs) I love it. I can't wait. First of all, I love that I'm wrong, because I think those are both very good theories. I love that I didn't figure it out, because Uh that means that there's more going on here. Um, than I can really anticipate. So I absolutely love that. I love when when writers surprise me. But yeah, it's fun trying to figure out the answers to those questions. I absolutely love that choices um, are a big theme, you know, uh, in these and all of it. I, I cannot believe that I enjoy this issue as much as I do because <laughs> right. like I've said before, like I am not a big fan of excessive backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like because usually it is clumsily done, right? And right, I yeah. when I say that, I am remembering specific instances of me in my stories where I had a lot of backstory to deliver. And tried real hard to get it in uh-huh. there and make it entertaining <laughs> and make it interesting. But it a backstory is in itself such an art. And we don't really look at ways to do it well. Because mm-hmm. most of us as writers, just like we know it's a necessary evil, especially if you're telling sci-fi, fantasy, something where the world is so significantly different from the world that we are in that right. you need to kind of explain the ways in which it's different, right? So there's a lot of that. Um, and I think that sometimes as writers, we just are like, there's we've seen it done a million times by brilliant writers where it's still clunky as fuck and there's no way not to be clunky about it. You just mm-hmm. kind of your peas right you just go right. through you do it as, as, <laughs> as swiftly as you can and and just move through it um and to see this from brubaker is like this revelation in strategies for backstory that i feel like like and a lot of the stuff that we've done a lot of the work that we've done together over the past like five years there are certain places where i can see that being done really well and i'm like oh mm-hmm. I need to teach a whole workshop on this. Like I need to pull all these examples down and find ways to teach backstory because backstory is a fucking nightmare. But the thing is that when you do it, use these strategies to do it well, kind of the same way you put your dog's medicine in peanut butter, right? You find something (laughs) else that you can do while doing the exposition to make all that backstory go down pretty easy. So the thing that I love too in this is that there is no more boring provider of exposition 
than a government fucking file. Like the pages of just text and you're just reading in this visual medium. And like, that is some boring exposition, right? (laughs) Yes. But reading the file while riding shotgun in Steve's head, while he is completely tormented by the knowledge of what happened to his, his little buddy. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, all of that, like how, powerful that is, how emotionally affecting that is, how you're living through this experience. While, yes, what we are doing here is backstory. It is exposition. It is going through the last 60 years of stuff and figuring out what the hell happened. Like, I cannot believe how skillfully and beautifully that was done so that when I was reading a fucking government file, <laughs> I was feeling all the emotions. Like that is that's some Jedi shit, I gotta say, from Brew Baker and the team, Lark Epting, everybody. Amazing. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Like there's a lot going on here. I mean, especially when you talk about teaching a class about this, it's like the last three issues could literally be yeah. the text of the class because you have good example, mm-hmm. bad example, best example you know, for delivering this this exposition here. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes this, I mean, there are some ways that this is done that I want to talk about for my favorite art. But in addition to that, at just a character level, I think the reason that this works so well is that while this is technically Bucky's backstory, because we're riding on Steve's shoulder, this is still creating story because we know how badly this is going to fuck Steve up. He's already fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like he's punching giant wall monitors out of anger about it, yeah, you know, and here and, we and are attacking Lucan in front of government officials, like yeah. and going on this crazy mission with Fury, yeah, clearly compromised already, and then just here's a oh, is there a little crack in your psyche? Here's a giant wedge we're gonna drive into it. It's <laughs> it's it's thunderous. It's amazing, and I want to juxtapose the file, uh, the the file yeah. flashbacks with the flashback at the end because on a certain level you're like oh my god one more flashback you know um (laughs) but having this extremely human moment between steve and bucky back in the day is it gives shape to uh, like we know that this is messing steve up already and it's like you get to the end and you're like how do we how do we visually how do we get this across in more than one image, because the last image is holy damn. Mm-hmm. But how do we do that? And it's this couple of pages that's about them watching a newsreel about themselves. And and the there isn't a lot of difference in their ages, but the amount of difference that there is, mm-hmm. you see it starkly. And that they are best friends, but also it's a little bit like mentor. It's not father-son, but it's a little bit mentor-mentee. It's like older brother, younger yeah. brother. And older brothers always feel like they've got to protect their younger brothers. And Steve has fucking failed. To do that as far as he's concerned. Uh-huh. Yeah. He couldn't have done it. Well, but regardless, he uh-huh. holds himself responsible. Amazing. Just puts, like it uh, wasn't pointed so enough. Let's put a couple more, uh, you know, scrapes along the whetstone and make this sharp enough to cut your heart from your body, my God. And then end with that final line from Bucky, which is, if you didn't have me, there wouldn't be a single person in this world who understood you. And that just shines a light on Cap's solitude, 
his, you know, his sense of isolation from the world, right? And I mean, like, you know, we've talked about that in a number of, I've talked about it in Buffy, I've talked about it in, we talked about it in, um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like this idea of how being a hero sets you apart from everybody mm-hmm. else and who can possibly understand you aside from other heroes. Mm-hmm. But Steve's very specific experience is like, yes, he's a hero, but he's also a dude. Like we have a lot of heroes who are just dudes. And then we have like the Martian guy. Like there's a whole range <laughs> right. of heroes, right? You know, like that will get across comics. And like Steve is this particular brand of hero that had a very human life to begin with mm-hmm. and then was changed by that. And that change creates an isolation, right? And mm-hmm. then the only people in the world, like imagine if the only people in the world who could understand that were a portion of like an eight person team, right? Like just right, the human yeah. transitioned people on that eight person team. And how many of those people chose that transition and how many people didn't, you know, like all of these things like Hulk, you know, the gamma rays happened to him and this is a thing. Like he wasn't yeah. trying to be Hulk, you know? Um, so you're looking at all of these different things that that particular experience becomes gradually more and more and more isolating. And there are two ways to really understand people. One is that you have a similar experience. You have a similar background. Two is that you spend so much time together mm-hmm. that you get just through the exposure, the time exposure, you get access to their inner workings. And here Steve was with this kid and the kid was vulnerable and Steve was vulnerable around this kid. And this kid was a huge part of the vulnerability for Steve, you know? Um, and so to have that relationship, I mean, the way it's portrayed in the MCU in the cinematic universe, slightly different, but still, you know, best friends known each other when they were growing up, like they, they had access to each other to really know each other. And Bucky, like, how are you with, you know, your friends from childhood, the people who yeah. knew you at a time, you don't even have access to that person anymore but they do through their memories of you. Like Mm -hmm, that is a bond, mm -hmm. you know? So like the ways in which Bucky and Steve are bonded and Steve has this relationship with Bucky and then Bucky puts a fucking flashlight on it and says, if you didn't have me. So it wasn't, it was that he didn't protect the kid. It was that he failed in this one space that was more important to him than anything else. But it's also that his loss is the loss of connection to another human person, which he hasn't been able to really replicate i mean there's a relationship with sharon you know there are relationships there was the relationship with peggy back in the day like there are relationships there but bucky was truly special and bucky understood him in a way that nobody else ever would and so like going through this whole thing and then that final you know flashback steve remembering this this instance and then that last shot to the kidney with no one will ever understand you the way that I do. And you know, like Cap's not going to let Bucky swing. Cap's going to try to, you know, rescue Bucky from the the prison that he is in of himself. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is so incredibly powerful. Such a wonderful and like the way that they did it, that they made it happen you know, like my whole thing of like exposition is exposition, just got to take it and move on and try to do as good <laughs> as you can. Like now Brubaker is being like, nope, you got to fucking raise your game, you know, like when possible, raise that game. And how can you do that by thinking creatively? I love this. I mean, for that 
lesson alone as a writer. Mm-hmm. I love this issue. I think too, uh, looking at the character side of it, that there's some additional levels of isolation. Because you're right, we've talked about that, and this is part of the superhero thing, especially the superheroes that run solo, like your Spider-Mans and such, mm-hmm. is that no one gets you. Right. They can listen to your your civilian friends, your wife, your best friend, whatever they can hear about it, but they don't get what it's like to do the thing. Yeah. And so there's that for the superhero in general. But Steve has like, I feel at least two more levels of isolation on there. One is he's a man out of time. He's adapting clearly, but at the same time, there's only no one else is going to get it. No one else was, you know, right. in 1930s Brooklyn. It's just they, they aren't there. And on top of that, I, I mentioned in a previous episode that I generally think of like only three full on white hats in the Marvel Universe and somebody is going to show up and correct me. And they are right to do so if I am forgetting somebody. But I generally <laughs> say our three white hats are Cap, Spider-Man and The Thing. And The Thing is just like a blue collar guy just trying to do the right thing, you know, and Spider-Man is racked by guilt. The only of the three paragons, the only one who sort of chooses that is Steve. Like he recognizes what he's mm-hmm. worth as a symbol and you know and there's a there's a way to play that where everybody loves him and that's true. Like he mm-hmm. wherever he goes he's got the passport. Oh, it's it caps here. Everything's fine. You know, they welcome, come in, you know, there but the flip of that is no one else gets you, man. Like not even the other yeah. two good guys because if you start talking to Spider-Man about upholding a an image, he's just going to be like yeah, I'm mostly just trying to make sure no more of my girlfriends get killed, you know. And if you say that to the thing, the thing is just going to be like, I'm just trying to do the right thing, Cap. I don't really think about it. You know, it's like, that's how it's yeah. going to be. So, and, and I'm not sure. That's the other part of this, too, is that, like, there's an inherent loss for Cap in not just there's an additional layer of loss, I guess I should say, because in theory, if he could get Bucky back out of the Winter Soldier, here'd be a guy who would get him. Except he he yeah. really wouldn't because their the the mm-hmm. experience of their intervening years from when they last knew each other took them a million miles apart. You know whatever Steve right. has so to they deal would with, still be isolated. He's still isolated. Whatever Steve has to deal with, he didn't murder a bunch of people across sixty years. You know, just right. anyway, mm-hmm. and which leaves Bucky just as isolated, which is also going to break Steve's heart. Like it's just layers of gut punch. We have reached the favorite part, as in what is your favorite part, but it's also generally our favorite part of the show. So as we often do, let's start with our favorite art. Lonnie, tell me a little bit. Is there one piece that stands out to you? How how did you react to, we've already talked about the way the art works, but what what jumped out at you? What really stuck out? I, I mean, I have to say, like, overall, Steve's memories mixing, um, you know, with his imagination and with the pages that are in front of him, I think was a brilliant approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but the page where Bucky is forced to be Karpov's bodyguard as some kind of final fuck you to Steve. Um, it's such a beautiful page. It feels touristy. He's going around Europe with this guy. <laughs> and yet it is. So like the darkness underneath that is also so clear and I absolutely love it. Like, I think it's just fantastic. And I, you know, a lot of the pages, like there's a lot of really beautiful pages here. It was really hard to pick one, but that's the one I finally landed on. How about you? I I think I'm going to most appreciate the overall approach. And the reason for that is 
this thing that they do in this issue cannot be done anywhere but comics. So mm-hmm. obviously a prose novel, you're going to get the file, but that does not give you, without a great deal more exposition on top of the file, it doesn't give you the feeling of what the person reading mm-hmm. the file would get. Like if I wrote this as a novel, it wouldn't hit like this. Steve's, you know, Right, you'd have to find it. another way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And movies and TV might do it with a voiceover, which is fine, yeah. but there's something about the sterility of the file's language combined with the typography of it actually looking like a typewritten file that just gives yeah. it a it has a deadness on purpose the prose in this issue has right. a lifelessness that you could not maintain with a voiceover like the the yeah. we read karpov's lines flat on the page if they were doing this in a movie and karpov were delivering that voiceover the actor doing that couldn't help but inject it with some emotion you know, he'd be bringing something. To he'd it, bring absolutely. something here. It's left up to us. This is flat. This is very painful. They are laid right next to each other. And you just you couldn't do it anywhere but comics because nothing but comics can do it this way. Yeah, it's such a beautiful contrast. And also we are having Steve's experience. Like when somebody's yeah. voice doing a voiceover, they are interpreting that experience for you. And in film and television, you got to do that. Nobody is going to read anything for five minutes of film and right. TV. That's just not how that form works. And again, this comes down to like every form has its strengths and you lean into those strengths. Um, yes. But the thing that's wonderful is that we are really in, we are having Steve's exact experience. We are reading the page that he re- that he read. We are seeing the actual paperwork that these guys did while they were doing something so incredibly monstrous yeah. to another human being, yeah. right? Um, and I think that there is something about that that opened up this space in, in comics to really lean into that particular strength, that particular ability that you could only do in this format and it is absolutely incredible all right so what's your favorite part of the story what's your favorite story moment here it is that final image of steve alone like there's shadows the room is in shadow so it's like the the, there is a literal darkness kind of surrounding him like pressing in it's like a dim room Mm -hmm. head in his hands file scattered you know, it's it's that one. And and that one only lands because of all the other things we've talked about leading up to it. But for me, that's it. Like that is a hopeless moment. Like like this is this is the rock bottom, you know. Um, we're gonna start mm-hmm. our kind of no way out but through in the next issue, but with yeah. this one, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is as bad as it gets for Steve. I um, love that. I love so that. good. What about yourself? What's your favorite story part? Oh god, when Bucky escapes to New York for a couple of weeks, you know, um, it's bad enough that this happened to him, you know, mm. but the twist of the knife is that part of him knows part of him knows and is fighting back and is trying to get away and is trying to discover himself, you know? Um, and I think that that is, it's so heartbreaking. And then th- that their response is, you know, we're going to wipe him clean every time we're going to put him yeah. in permanent stasis. Now we're going to, and also like at the end, you know, you see him at the end of that, that sequence, there he is in that little, in that huge warehouse, this little, you know, green liquid tube that this person is in, in stasis. But we know, of course he's out now. Like the plan was to mm-hmm. leave him and just not, you know, just tuck him in a warehouse and that's it. Um, but he's out now and how that happened is definitely another question to be answered. But the, um, 
the knowledge that him fighting back was the thing that shut him down, you yeah. know, is so heartbreaking and and wonderful. And I absolutely loved it. We'll be back next week with Captain America Winter Soldier number 12, in which Steve finally starts to reckon with what it means that Bucky is the Winter Soldier and then pushes through the turmoil that acceptance brings. Until then, sometimes I think if you didn't have me, there wouldn't be a single person in the world who really understood you. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Anru and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.